Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with your servant, so that I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes, so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I live as an alien in the land. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones. Who wander from your commandments and take away from and take away from me their scorn and contempt, for I have kept your decrees. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your decrees are my delight, they are my counselors. Second Kings chapter six verses eight through twenty three. Once when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he took counsel with his officers. He said, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Take care not to pass this place, because the Arameans are going down there. The king of Israel sent word to the place of which the man of God spoke. More than once or twice he warned such a place that it was on the alert. The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and said to them, Now tell me, who among us sides with the king of Israel? Then one of his officers said, No one, my lord king. It is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. He said, Go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. He was told, He is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots there and a great army. They came by night and surrounded the city. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? He replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike the people, please, with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha said said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. The Lord opened their eyes, and they saw that they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them and said to Elisha, Father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, No. Did you capture with your sword and your bow those whom you want to kill? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink, and let them go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. After they ate and drank, he sent them on their way, and they went to their master. And the Arameans no longer came raiding into the land of Israel. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. Now as Peter went here and there among all the believers... He came down also to the saints living in Lydda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Good morning and welcome to the 21st Tuesday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Walkersville, Maryland. Our readings from this morning come from Psalm 119, 2 Kings 6, and Acts 9. Uh, but as in a very interesting readings, which I'll point out in a while, um, but being as it's October 26, it's the Western Feast of Demetrius of Thessalonica. Um, Demetrius is he's kind of a mysterious figure. Um, the West doesn't make such a big deal out of him, but the East does. And part of that is because a Greek um, set of uh, acts, uh, there's, there's two different types of um, hagiographies. Well, there's three. The two main types are passions um, and vidas. And passions are descriptions of death. Vidas are descriptions of what they did during their lives. But sometimes the Vida are also called acta. Uh, so the acts of St. Demetrius were uh, a Greek work, but they aren't popularized and translated into Latin until the ninth century. And they claim that he served under Maximianus um, in you know, the same town as the Thessalonians, Thessalonica. Um, but so it's kind of a late, um, arrival, um, because of, uh, the language and kind of the setting where he was first popularized. He's really, um, a big deal in the Eastern church, the Orthodox church. Um, and in fact is, is one of the highest venerated military saints. Um, and his passion is kind of kind of common or it's it's very it's it it feels very much like a template you know he's he served under one of the emperors during Diocletian's reign um and he he refuses to continue in his role he's met with um someone that he knows or someone that's sympathetic when he goes to trial who tries to convince him to just you know be a soldier or do the thing that the emperor says. He says, no, he's killed. And in Demetrius's case, there's a series of nine miracles. Um, and that's kind of what makes Demetrius unique amongst the soldier saints is it's just the structure of his, of his acta, um, essentially. Um, but he performs these nine miracles and, um, he is, um, thought of, as being, uh, you know, resident of and a patron of um, Thessalonica, but those who, you know, the academics that study this stuff, um, they aren't so sure that he actually is from Thessalonica. Uh, the The relics that they have are kind of old, and the the guy who translated his acta and popularized them was also publicly dismissive of relics that were found. Again, it's late in the game. This is the ninth century. 
almost to the Middle Ages, and the relics of saints were already being used as you know, little more than magic talismans. And Demetrius is no different. Um, but uh, a lot of scholars think he's actually originally from um, Smyrmium, Smyrmium, sorry. Um, and that's, in fact, what the Roman Catholic, the Western Church, uh, little c Catholic Church, calls calls Demetrius. He calls, they call him Demetrius of Smyrmium. And technically in the West, his face is on October 8th. But um, I just indicated on the, the 25th, I'm sorry, the 26th, because he's, you know, there's just so much more tension on him in the East. Um, but again, he's kind of a late comer, uh, right around the time, you know, the, the 10th century is when, 10th, I can't remember, um, and, you know, 1054 is when the Great Schism finally occurs. So there's already a break, um, a separation occurring between the East and the West. And so Demetrius becomes not a, certainly not a puppet, but that he's so well regarded in the East and such a minor saint in the West is a product of this, you know, this looming split between the East and the West, between Rome and Constantinople. Um, and so he's, you know, it's just, it's just not clear to me, um, you know, his, his status, the status that he has in the East is heightened by certain factors that aren't necessarily historical. Um, I don't think I have, I don't have, at the time I'm recording this, I don't have a separate page for him set up on pewpewhq.com slash people. Um, and part of that is that, like he's, it's it's worth our attention. But, um, and I certainly give Maurice of Thebes, uh, you know, pretty prominent um, treatment. So it's and and his stuff was almost entirely legendary. Um, so I should do Demetrius as well. But anyway, I did want to um, mention that the readings were really interesting. In particular, the Old Testament reading. Um, because this, I, I it's this kind of um, uh, less known passage where it taught where it uses spiritual warfare language and and um, imagery. So this, um, the king of Aram was frustrated with Israel, and they go and or frustrated with this uh, man of God. And so he sends a small army uh, to go find this man of God who's not telling him what he wants to hear. And so they send, they find him in Dothan, they send him, and they sent horses and chariots, and it says a great army, but that's probably a little bit of hyperbole. And so they're, <laughs> they're hanging out, surrounding the city that Elisha is in, and one of his attendants is like, uh, we're surrounded, what should we do? Um, and Elisha says, oh, don't worry about it. Um, and he tells God, hey, open his eyes so he can see um, what's going on, what truly is happening. And so when the attendant sees, he sees a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so Elisha and God has his own army, not necessarily at his disposal because he's not in command of that army, 
Um, but he he is represented by a superior force. Um, and so it's this uh, it's this really interesting image of uh, you know what it means that God is a warrior. You know, in Exodus fifteen three, and what does it mean that God commands? You know, like in uh, the Abbey, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, when um, Jesus says, "Don't you know that my Father can can send down legions of angels?" Well, here we get this image: these legions of angels are protecting Elisha, um, and that they are there; they are at um, God's beck and call. Um, and so they, you know, that's this. It's a striking reminder of the militia day, the army of God, that really does exist. That um, is at God's disposal. Uh, you know, the military saints are now, you know, as as they enter the church triumphant, uh, they join the ranks of that army of God. Um, I don't know that they fight. You know, in Revelation, the the witnesses are all uh, robed in in white, and they don't have any blood on them like uh, Jesus does. Um, so I don't know that they actually fight, but they. They are members of the army of God, just like Demetrius, and finally um, George as well. Um, I say that because <clears throat> uh, George of Palestine, the, the name I give Saint George on the website, um, he's not just of Palestine, but specifically in Lydda, and Lydda is the city in which this man Aeneas is healed, and Aeneas is the great is the Greek origin mythos figure um, from the Odyssey, uh, you know, trying to make his way back home after war. Uh, and Aeneas is kind of like the, the, the seat in the sequel to Homer's Iliad, uh, which features um, Achilles. Aeneas is uh, in Homer's Odyssey, and it's to Aeneas that the Greek-speaking world, the, the um, well, the Roman Hellenized world, is through Aeneas that they trace their mythic origins. Aeneas then travels to Rome and becomes an Italian. Um, and so to name somebody who's healed, Aeneas symbol, symbolizes uh, the, the, the subversion or the, the return of this mythical figure into the fold of Christ, you know, the healing, quote-unquote, of the nation. It's like saying Uncle Sam or or George Washington, how Christian they were, you know, they were healed. It's something to that effect. And so to put that with a reading of the army of God um, uh, is really quite potent in, in terms of a martial hermeneutic. Prayer for those in the armed forces of our country, from the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, we commend to your gracious care and keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. Give them courage to face the perils which beset them, and grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, 
hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.